Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Real with Sandra and Friends, a workplace consortium podcast brought to you by Relogix. I'm excited to be sharing conversational musings about current events and how we envision the ever-changing world of work. I'm Sandra Panera, Director of Workplace Insights at Relogix. With 25 years of hands-on experience, I help value engineer global workplace portfolios and employee experiences by aligning workplace analytics with corporate real estate needs. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future podcasts? Please drop me a line at podcast at relogics.com. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Miller, the founder and chief executive officer of Relogics. Andrew's mission is to turn data into valuable outcomes. With over 20 years as a corporate real estate solutions and insights provider, Andrew recognized the need for technology in the CRE industry. He founded Relogix out of a need to create solutions to help organizations evolve their workspace and get high quality data to drive strategic decision making. Andrew believes that the key to evolving workspace and strategic planning lies in data science. Just like the workplace, data science is progressive. It's a journey of perpetual discovery, refinement, and adaptation. Hi, everyone. Welcome. We're happy to have you here. My name is Jillian, and I will be your organizer for the webinar today. So I will hand you over to Sandra. Thanks for joining us today, everyone. I'm excited to be speaking with our CEO today, Andrew Miller, about what's happening in our workplaces and how the people behind the scenes like you are managing so much uncertainty and uncertainty that still lies ahead. Welcome, Andrew. Really happy to have you join me today. The past two and a half years has been an incredible journey as the CEO and founder of Relogix, given the nature of our business. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what that experience was like. Thank you, Sandra, and thank you, everybody, for joining us today. It's great to have you. I appreciate you taking some time out to share some experiences with us here at Relogix. In the real estate technology game going on 15 years now, so we've seen an awful lot. I've seen an awful lot, but I must admit the last two years has been uh, what we call quite the headwind for us. Everybody that's on the on the call, I assume, is in corporate real estate, so I thought I'd just share my thoughts on uh, the last couple of years and what it was like. And I was thinking five years down the road, think about the story you're going to tell about how you uh, got through the journey as being a real real estate professional and how you got through COVID. And you look back on it and imagine what that story is going to be like. And someone might say to you, you know, didn't you work in the real estate industry? What was that like going through the pandemic? And I was thinking, okay, well, you'd, you'd start the story by telling them, well, obviously the pandemic hit us and then uh, all the offices, our core business emptied out completely around the world. Everybody went home and guess what? They stayed home for almost two years. And during that time, on and on it went with the macro scene and economic instability around the world. Stock markets are teetering. We're dealing with massive inflation. The price of everything has gone through the roof. We've got social unrest going on around the world. So we're trying to struggle our way through that. You're in real estate, so you might be trying to do some projects in your offices. We're providing sensor technology. So we were trying to, we're all dealing with a global supply chain meltdown. Very difficult to get anything done. There's no parts for anything. Another struggle. We continue on. Now we've got a, a war for talent raging. Certainly uh, in Canada, I'm sure it's, I now feel like it's around the world, trying to find folks to join your team, having lots of folks in corporate real estate. I'm watching them change roles and move around, but price of talent, price of folks is going through the roof. So the war for talent's going on. And for sure, I, it's just been one of those where everyone is is absolutely struggled. But if you look at the CRE and FM folks uh, that are out there, no question the commercial and corporate real estate industry has been disrupted. I think that's a given, and and it's it's really undeniable at this point that I think the industry is at an inflection point, and we can talk about that today. But good news, I think uh, with the disruption, there's lots of opportunity. Let's jump to a quick poll. So with the uncertainty of what's next, curious to kind of gauge where where most of the interest lies within your organization with respect to some of the challenges that you're facing. So as you think about coming back to the office, uh, what are the challenges that your your organization is facing and trying to figure out 
Uh, is it, you know, figuring out, you know, how to incentivize people to come back to the office? Maybe you're looking at uh, design changes that need to take place in the workplace because people aren't using space the same way that they used to or how much space you should keep if you have leases that are coming due. You know, a lot of companies are thinking about that as well. And then also just the big question about, you know, should the companies be considering hybrid work or should be they looking to actually transition to being fully remote? These are all sort of the things that we're hearing from organizations that we're speaking to. And it's kind of all over the map with respect to where companies are putting their focus. There isn't sort of a clear, clear focus, much like there was before the pandemic in terms of workplace optimization and such. So curious to hear what's happening in your organization. Interesting. <laughs> so how much space we should keep and should we design the space, which is pretty much where most of our customers are also playing in that in those those areas. Obviously, with leases uh, coming due uh, or not coming due is just kind of people realizing that there's uh, either too much space and how much space should they actually be keeping and how do they figure out how to do that. And then the flip side of that is being the design is actually just looking at the fact that, as I said before, the way people are interacting with space is changed. And so you may have allocated a bunch of desks and now people are coming back to the office, but they're using a different type of space. And so a lot of companies are asking, you know, what is the preferred space? Do we have enough of that kind of space? And what are the changes that we, we need to make? Interestingly uh, enough to see also the fact of, you know, uh, will people come back to the office? I think that there's a uh, definite sort of theme out there or this belief from a lot of organizations that we're also feeling where companies are still believing that there still will be people coming back uh, in greater numbers than what we're seeing right now. That's basically a, a wait and see game. We don't really know what the future holds. We would love to be able to look into a crystal ball and see what that is, but uh, certainly not something that we're able to do effectively with any any data that we, we look at, it's a, it's a huge un, unknown. So having said all that, Andrew, thinking about all of these different things that are, you know, challenges to organizations, where do you see the market headed? So from where I sit, I'm definitely seeing in the market right now, the biggest challenge that I think our customers and everybody we're working with around the world globally, I would say, is there's really this tremendous blind spot right now when it comes to this notion of the return to office. And I think that's what's really interesting about that is this is a global challenge that we're facing. Every corporate real estate professional you talk to in the world is is struggling with some of the very same things, which is I find that's really unique in, in my career for sure. But it's absolutely clear to me that we're not sure how this is going to unfold in front of us over the next, certainly for the next year. And we as a data company are always looking for historical patterns and pattern recognition and looking at the data. But as you know, Sandra, like all that data we've had for many, many years in the can, and a lot of that is out the window, right? Those patterns are now irrelevant. Our, our lens is only really looking forward day by day by day as this unfolds and we're trying to figure out what's going to happen next. So with this blind spot, like the real estate leaders that we're working with uh, are struggling just to answer those basic questions. Like they're absolutely the same set of questions and they're how do you answer any of those questions with confidence without any data? So just the simplest things like are people going to return? Who's going to return where and on our portfolio are they going to return and how often? Um, and then, as you said, when they do return and start coming back into the office, like, what are they going to be doing in the office? What kind of work are they going to be doing? What spaces are they going to be using? How long are they going to be using those spaces? And, and what kind of space ultimately do we need as a result? And so we like to call that trying to understand people's intent versus their actual behavior. And I think that's really important as a challenge to try to understand. And I think the billion dollar question is, uh, how do we forecast demand and the needs of space with all this uncertainty in front of us? And everybody is talking about trying to create a better employee experience. But uh, how do you do that when you're flying blind and you don't have the answers you need? Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. You mentioned in a recent conversation you and I had about a particular customer of ours that 
we're banking. I mean, we know that there was a lot of conversation during the pandemic about, you know, we need booking systems or, you know, the focus is on meeting and collaboration spaces. And so some companies kind of rushed to make some changes to the space in anticipation of this change that was coming. And then it kind of fell flat. And so mm-hmm. what, what was the, the outcome of that particular customer's experience as a result? Yeah, I, I characterize it as everybody was stuck in this one foot on the brake, one foot on the gas. And we've been doing that for the last 18 months where we're all sort of saying, okay, here we go, it's over. Let's get going and make some decisions. We need to, based on what we knew, you know, in the first six months and then the next, and then the next six months, and it just kept going on, right? And people are trying to make decisions, making capital investments and changing space, buying tools and technology uh, for a better workplace experience, for sure, desk booking, visitor entry, all sorts of solutions that people are, are investing in. And some of the reality is now that they're two years into this game and people are still slowly coming back, they're questioning whether or not those investments were the right investments to be making. And some of them were a little uh, nervous that there were knee-jerk reactions. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of right-sizing and and likely rationalization of space footprints across portfolios. And if you've made investments in some of them, it, it might be for naught. Right. On that one, then, uh, Brad Clark, you have a, an interesting point to add to this. I'll read off his questions here. So he's saying, exactly, why do they really need to return? Why does the business want slash need them to return? What are the benefits? How do you navigate another culture shift to encourage on-site collaboration? Yeah, no, absolutely, right? How are we... I think we're we're in a work-anywhere world, and we'll talk about, I think, what that means today, but it's pretty absolute that makeup of the office has changed. And a lot of our customers uh, from what we're seeing are really opening the doors and now kind of wondering, Hmm, how come occupancy is not increasing as we thought we set a target. It's not happening. Now what do we do? And that's it. Like we got a lot of clients that are looking at us going, Hmm, we're working on what we're going to do next. The data is not tell is not unfolding the way we had thought. And uh, it's, a, it's a big part of the question. And, and you look at this graph here. So this is really interesting for Relogix. Like we, we've been in a really, really interesting position over the last couple of years, as you could imagine, as a data company. We're sitting there watching the patterns of data unfold globally from all the portfolios we're studying. And it puts us in a really, really interesting position to watch it. And we've been watching it, obviously, continuously. This graph is the last couple of years. It's showing... Uh, UK and North America, North America being the dark line on the 28th there. So, hey, you watch the Internet, you're on the Internet, you're reading all the what you might call some some are calling the noise that's out there right now. Everybody's got an opinion of what's going to happen next. It's all unknown. And we have the opportunity to find the signal within the noise because we're looking at the numbers and the data that's unfolding, capturing live occupancy data in real offices around the world. We've been doing that for the last five years. So we have quite a pattern. And then the last couple of years, as the graph shows, as you can see in two years, that, that line is obviously pretty spiky, but it's flat. And now today, when you look at those numbers, you know, there's no question we're still not seeing even close to, uh, certainly in North America, 50% overall occupancy. You know, over all these years, Relogix has been screaming from the rooftops that offices have sat empty around the world pretty much in the best of times. And that's just the reality of it. And we've been trying to convince folks to be more effective with how they use space. And if the world sits at 28 percent or or below and it continues, uh, there's no question this market has been disrupted. And it's it's going to be interesting to see where we go next. Yeah, I think what's interesting about this, too, is, you know, when you when you look at a graph like this, there's the temptation to sort of look at the past and try to predict the future to say, okay, well, at the rate that we're, you know, we're starting to see the incline, we can sort of predict what, you know, the future might potentially look like. But that's not necessarily true in the market that exists today, because it changes literally from like week to week, month to month. If there's something that happens that's, you know, COVID related or, you know, some other thing that's happening, you'll see a significant dip in the numbers. And then, 
it almost feels like every time there's a dip, there's a bit of a erosion to the confidence level of, of the actual return. It's kind of like, well, what's the point of even bothering to go back? And so that basically results in this jagged line that we're, we're seeing. I think the other part is just the, the nature of, of the line and the fact that it, it's demonstrating volatility is we're basically looking for it to flatline. It's to say, okay, once it starts to flatline, that's kind of where we can start to say, okay, that's what the new normal is. We have absolutely no way of predicting at what point it's going to flatline because it's completely at the mercy of the employees and to the point of companies trying to figure out how to bring people back. We've seen it in the news. We've heard it where you know companies are trying to mandate and put their foot down, you know, and saying you, you need to come back to the office and mandating specific days and employees just are not having it. They're just not interested in in mandates. And so that's what makes this really, really unique and hard to really predict what's going to happen in the future going forward. Hmm. We have another question here from Andy. Hi, no, I just, uh, you know, when you're talking about change management and how to get people back in the office, you're coming from a different paradigm because it used to be that everyone was in the office and becoming activity-based work or whatever was the change. Well, now everyone's home. They've been home for two years. They've adjusted their life to it. So changing that paradigm mix is now what you're coming up against. And it's it's a different dynamic. And I, I don't think that um, a lot of organizations understand the full impact of how hard that is unless they've gone through activity-based work in corporations or, or things like that in the past. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Tremendous change management exercise is going to be going on for the next year for all of us. That's no question. Yeah, for sure. Just to kind of add to that previous slide of, you know, taking the data from inside organizations and then looking outward to public sources of data, like what's happening. So this is a a graph that I pulled down. It's basically showing Google mobility trends. Uh, They've been tracking this information since the onset of the pandemic. And basically they established, you know, based on whatever that baseline was with respect to people transitioning or going to the workplaces, what does that look like? So Obviously, Google's smart enough to know if you're at home or if you're out shopping or if you're in a, in a workplace setting. And what's interesting about this is the drop-off rate. So we all have heard, if you've been in workplace strategy, you know what real occupancy numbers look like before the pandemic. You know, 50, 60 percent was kind of the norm. You know, some companies got up to 70, but it was very rare to see anything that was over 70 percent. And so when you look at the onset of the pandemic with that drop off of, you know, 40 percent, 50 percent, you're kind of looking at potentially the fact that you had skeleton staff in the office. So maybe five, 10 percent of the people. And we saw that as we were watching the mass exodus happen in other parts of the world before it hit North America. But what's interesting is, is when you start to look at the incline as, as people are starting to come back to the office, you're still about 25 to 30 percent away from whatever that baseline was before. So again, using that 50-60% proper sort of occupancy rate before the pandemic, subtract 30%, you're probably at about 20-20% in terms of the rate of return. And so that's kind of interesting in that, you know, the in this particular case, I was trying to see if I could get like all the countries on there, but it only allowed to select one particular country. But it was interesting as I was flipping through the different countries, the only one that actually showed a steep incline was India. All the other countries were pretty well flatlined. And so it was there's really very little movement with respect to people going to the workplace that's being captured from mobile devices. And so this is fascinating to me because maybe this is an indicator of the fact that, you know, it is steadying out and it has been over the last couple of months or at least of the last couple of quarters. Sandra, a lot of your podcasts, I've, I've heard you talk about what you call like separation of work and place and maybe share a little bit about the employee experience side of that or what you, what you, what are you meaning when you're talking about that? Yeah. So here I not necessarily focus so much on, on the employee experience per se, because employee experience is a pretty loaded topic in itself, but just being more generic about what is the experience of work and kind of thinking about you know, who actually owns that now? So before, you know, you always had HR, IT, facilities management, and a whole bunch of other roles that were sort of tapping into building sort of this experience of work when you physically had a workplace. 
But, you know, obviously there's uh, growing roles and responsibilities within the organization around this thing. And what's interesting about it is there's a little bit of a, an ego situation happening on where everybody wants to be a hero, right? So you've got HR that basically it's about culture, it's about wellness, it's about, you know, all the things that are pretty much from that HR slant. Then you have, you know, IT, which is all about the technology. So you've got IoT, you've got workplace technology, you have all of these new requirements where you're trying to get at data and information as it relates to the actual space itself so that you can somehow inform some of these greater decisions. And then, you know, FM, which is sort of all encompassing depending on, you know, the, the structure of your organization, but it could be about space planning and preparing for, you know, the, the maintenance requirements as people are coming back to the office. So there's so many moving parts to, to all of this. And often these teams are competing for the same budget, right? And so, you know, the bottom line is still there's a business to be to be done. There's, you know, business requirements are what the business requirements are. And whatever it is that that experience needs to be, everybody needs to get on the same page. Like it's not an HR initiative or an IT initiative or a corporate real estate initiative. It really should be one that is a joint initiative as an organization so that you get that cohesiveness and more importantly, the alignment around what do you want the experience of work to be for your employees? Is it in the office? Is it out of the office? Is it a hybrid solution? And how does that all uh, all work? I think the whole concept of managing is going to become that much more complex because of the volatility, right? As we said before, we don't really know what the future holds. And so companies are kind of in a hold state right now. You know, they're toying with the idea of hybrid. There's already a bunch of challenges that are coming through with hybrid just because hybrid can't really be scheduled. If it's true hybrid, you're not going down sort of that scheduled path. And so it doesn't work for people. It creates mayhem for corporate real estate, for facilities management, where you've got companies like Apple that are mandating the specific days that our employees are coming in. You're basically putting a lot of emphasis or a lot of demand on space in, you know, just a number, a few number of days in the week. Whereas if you left it more open ended, you would have a greater distribution across the five days of the week. So there's all these sort of puts and takes as it relates to how you're going to really shape the experience of work going forward. But I think what's really interesting in all of this is how the role of the experience has ultimately not necessarily changed, but the fact that it's becoming more and more distributed. So uh, one of the things that we've seen quite a bit over the last little while is these new titles that are emerging. So we're going to do another poll now. We're just curious to know if these new roles are roles that have been created within your organization because what we're what we're starting to see is is that you know we're seeing more and more of this where the whole role of the experience is being pushed off to a new title but the reality is is that you know it's not about a new title it's really about the cohesiveness of the team and working together to basically establish what that experience needs to be and then working uh, on that experience in sort of a a joint fashion so really curious to see the results of this one. We'll just give it a couple of minutes, um, but maybe in the meantime, have you guys seen any of these titles yourselves in some of the conversations that you've had? Yeah, I certainly seeing a lot of the experience officer, the word experience in, in titles right now. That's popping up for me all the time. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is is under what umbrella does that role report to? So is it part of real estate? Is it part of IT? Is it part of HR? So it's just massive confusion as to who actually owns the experience yeah. um, and the, the expectations around that, I think, more than anything, right, is what well, what does that mean exactly? Interesting. Okay, yeah. so Chief Workplace Experience Officer. Yeah, I wonder sometimes, one of the thoughts that I had when I started to see this emerge and kind of looking at just a job function is, you know, is this a workplace strategy role renamed? Because I think a lot of the role or the roles and responsibilities for the chief workplace experience officer really includes many of those, basically those objectives. And so it almost feels like it's a modernization of workplace strategy feels very place focused versus the experience. Although the word workplace again is a bit of a touchy subject, but we won't, we won't go there. <laughs> All right. So now that we have kind of understood the emerging problems, 
you know, the fact that we're sort of not really sure who owns ultimately the experience. We also know that solution never really starts with tools. And so, Andrew, what would you say are some of the emerging problems as a result of just this confusion that's happening in, in the market? Yeah, no shortage of challenges out there for us folks. Uh, I would say we, we're firm believers that really undeniable that we're in a, a work anywhere world, we like to say. And actually, if, I was thinking that a, a friend of ours, uh, Mark Gilbreth over at Liquid Space, he coined it uh, at a show, the trillion dollar dumpster fire that's going on <laughs> in corporate and commercial real estate. I thought that was a little heavy. I, I, I call it the great uh, realignment rather than dumpster fire. But no question, like offices are not going to disappear anytime soon. Uh, it's the biggest asset class in the world. So it's in no means going away. But it's I, th- I think it's I believe it's absolutely certain that we're going to have a percentage of people working from home permanently. I don't think that uh, anyone's going to deny that that's a fact that we're dealing going to be dealing with moving forward. But I also firmly believe that a percentage of folks are going to be a lot more people going to be working at third places. So we're co-working spaces, the coffee shops of the world and all the other kind of restaurants becoming co-working spaces. These third places are going to be, you know, a percentage of folks are going to be always in those types of spaces as well. And I think what what we're going to see is that companies really need more um, elasticity in their portfolios moving forward. I think that's the key of that agility or elasticity because we, we're going to have to figure out how to deal with these ebbs and flows of uh, supply and demand equation, right? The only way to do it effectively, we're not going to be in our leases for forever. We're going to have to have an elastic portion of our portfolio until this thing starts to balance out. It's no other way to deal with it. So that to me speaks to the need for more real estate as a service. I think that part of our world is going to continue to increase to deal again uh, with that ebb and flow. And then the challenge, that realignment for corporate real estate and FM, we're the ones that have to try to figure out using whatever data and tools we have, uh, what that pattern is going to unfold in front of us and make strategic decisions about our portfolio based on not the best data at the moment. So, the challenge and that part of the challenge is, is, is really what data do you collect and how do you collect the data that you're going to need to make informed decisions in a work anywhere world? And how do you collect data around how people are working when portions of them are working from home, portions are working in third places? Data privacy is heightened more so than it ever has been. So the ability for us to capture that data is really, really tricky to do. And, you know, we, we still struggle with how we're going to capture any data from the folks that are not in our office. And those patterns for us are, are really the key to understanding what's going to unfold. So we have to find ways to uh, kind of be gathering any data that we can get our hands on. And how do you improve, like we're talking about the experience of work, how you can improve that experience of work when you don't have the data you have to even affect the common decisions that you need within the workplace. So that that puts us really in un, uncharted territory as far as I'm concerned. I know, like, again, before the pandemic, you know, a lot of the drivers with respect to optimizing the workplace stemmed from cost savings, like companies were all yeah. about cost savings. Do you see cost savings still being a key driver or has that become secondary? Yeah, I think it's it's the secondary equation right now. So it's 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 kind of falling out the backside of us just trying to understand, again, the patterns of work right now. We're mm-hmm. going to spend the next year figuring out the patterns of work. You know, most organizations are shedding space, some percentage of when we got lease ends, we're going to shed some space where we can. But you know, we're, we're stuck before we can make any kind of rationalization and right-sizing decisions across the portfolio. We still wait into kind of hesitating to see what, what our occupancy is going to be looking like and what, you know, in what cities and what parts of our portfolio, what cultures, what departments, what organizations. Uh, you're going to definitely see, I think, that right-sizing is coming, but it's, you know, it's not the immediate focus. Maybe we're the only focus. Now you're focused on that experience piece. First, maybe to, to, to then inform 
the right optimization program coming out the back of it. I threw this one in for you, Sandra, because I, I always uh, someone said to me, you know, of course I've heard the data is data is the new oil. We're a data company, so we think of a lot about it. But with the price of gas right now, oil is just not cool. Nobody nobody likes oil, so uh, data the new bacon. And uh, we're Canadian, so I thought that was kind of funny. Very appropriate. Uh, yeah, let, let me just finish this thought. So. I'm sorry to say, everybody out there, that you've got a challenge in front of you. So if we all believe data is the new bacon, corporate real estate and FM are going to struggle because what we need is more data analysts, data engineers, data scientists. And I know after being in this business for so many years, finding those folks is a huge challenge. Finding those folks who know even how to spell CRE is a massive challenge. We're trying to hire and recruit all the time, but it's, I, I hate to say it, but corporate real estate and FM is not the coolest kid on the block when it comes to tech. And so trying to convince folks to shift their career out of some other uh, finance, IT, some other area where data scientists and engineers live and get them to come over into our universe and focus a part of their career on, on, on figuring it out. In uh, corporate real estate, it's a real hard lift. So uh, you need data. You need to figure out how to get that data. But my recommendations right now is you're likely going to be looking at intermediate level and other folks maybe popping out of school. And then you're going to have to skill, uh, do upskill and train them up in our universe and give them subject matter expertise. And just having expertise around data uh, without the context of our business and how it works is it's very difficult, and uh, you, you don't get a lot of value out of the data if you don't understand the industry and the context. So massive challenge for all of us is going to be talent. Yeah, and that's a, that's a key point because I've worked with many companies in the past, even before I joined Relogix, where, you know, they had a, a business analyst or a data analyst that was in IT without any corporate real estate background. They could put visualizations together, you know, fairly easily if they had the resources to do it. But then the million dollar question was, well, what does this all mean? So there was no interpretation of the data, which is where it kind of fell apart. And I've seen that time and time again, is is that unless you have someone that knows the significance of the data, that when you look at a graph, you know exactly what it's telling you. It's very, very hard when you're asking someone in a completely different field to do visualizations it's hard to kind of really give it the context that it needs so that you can make the decisions that, that need to be made. Just have a question here again from Andy. Andy, did you want to um, unmute yourself and ask your question? Sure. Um, given that all of our work is really based on the computer interface now, um, that provides us an opportunity to actually get data around how people work, what softwares they're using, how long they're on it, if they're on Teams meetings all the time, uh, all that kind of stuff. And I know that Microsoft Analytics and, and Google Analytics and probably every single platform out there has it, but it's always an issue of access and security, to your earlier point, Andrew. Um, are you seeing any availability or access, uh, especially in, like, creating a streamlined dashboard that you could then give insights on on a quarterly or a biannual basis? Yeah, that's a great question. And absolutely, uh, coming, starting from the IT community who has already been tapping that data, uh, to understand just how systems are used. And, you know, it, it's a corporate asset. The data belongs to the corporate. We should be able to understand how people are using the corporate assets. And so the data stream is, is one of those really tricky ones where you cross over into, well, is that about them tracking me? Of course. And yeah, we can tap into some of that data. But uh, you just you have to be very cautious uh, how you communicate, you know, exactly why. It's like sensors, how are, you know, you're very cautious about how you communicate what the data is going to be used for, how it's going to be used. But it's a perfect opportunity to understand. But I, it's early days. Very few people are crossing over and figuring that out because it's very big brother. So it's a it's a tricky one. I think I think personally that the value in that kind of stuff is still forthcoming. Like it's more about understanding, you know, the relationships of like people that work together. So if you think back on when you were doing site studies or site observation studies, you always ask the question about adjacencies. You'd go out and you try to understand who works with who by just 
asking the question. And, you know, in talking to other people, you know, some that are a little bit further along in sort of their analysis, it's, you know, you don't have to ask the question because and often there's a there's a discrepancy. You might think that, you know, you need to be next to the marketing department. But in reality, you rarely work with the marketing department because you're working with other other teams, which comes through in that that type of data. And so we're starting to see we have a couple of customers actually that are, are edge cases that are sort of exploring that to say, OK, what are the relationships or the frequencies of people that work together coming into the office and sort of, you know, are they on the same teams? Are they on different teams? Like just kind of looking for patterns to really illustrate potentially what those work relationships are. But again, it's still very much focused on the office space right now. Like the independent work is one thing, but I think where the interest really lies is around the collaboration and the collaboration disassociated with the physical space is to say, okay, if I've got, you know, two or three people that need to work together, how do we ensure that they are aware of their individual needs, but also their teaming needs, and then where work should happen, where it works for all of them, right? So it's not a mandated thing that, hey, we just go to the office. Maybe if that's the only option that's made available, great. But if there are other options, like this particular company is considering co-working as an option, then that opens up a whole new door for employees to kind of think about how they will want to work together on the days that they choose to be to be together. Right. So we're going to do another survey, um, just kind of thinking about what is your current go to source to understand your future workplace needs? We know that a lot of the data sources that you know you used to go to before aren't really useful anymore just because you can't be looking for, you know, uh, benchmarking information from from the past because that's all out the window. Um, so just kind of curious in terms of how are you capturing that information today? What are, what are your sources? I know just to kind of add a little bit while we're waiting is we've had several conversations with customers around badge data and the value of the badge data. A lot of companies think that badge data is useless, <laughs> for lack of a better word. But the reality is badge data is kind of and continues to be the first source of at least just trying to gauge how many people are actually coming in. The analysis that you can do on badge data, you know, you can probably get about 75% accuracy because you've got, you've got tailgating, you've got, you know, other things that come up, but 75% accuracy rate might be pretty good if you don't have any way of looking at data today or any data source today. And so that's kind of a great starting point. So if you know that you've got only 50% of your people coming in, maybe attack on another 20% just to be safe. That right away gives you a 30% opportunity and you're not really impacting the employee's experience in any way. You're just getting rid of space that people are not actually using. And that's usually where companies start to sort of going down that sort of data journey is you start with the, the highest possible number and then you just continue to drill in to the data as more and more questions start to emerge around, well, once you know how many people are in, then it's, well, what floors do they go to? And then when it's what floors do they go to, it's what spaces do they go to? And so on and so forth. So there's a bit of a journey that happens uh, that happens there. Oh, this is interesting. So, yes, employee surveys has been really, really a big one over the pandemic, of just kind of people checking in on a number of different factors, but also just, you know, the willingness or their desire to return to the office. So that one's not surprising. Uh, leadership direction, again, not surprising in terms of turning to the leadership in terms of what is what is the future of the organization and how do they envision the, the way in which the, the organization is going to function going forward. That's going to be a requirement because you want to ensure that you're aligning with whatever that leadership's direction is, good or bad. I mean, that's ultimately what you're you're trying to do. However, you know, interestingly enough, the leadership direction, at least again from my experience, is that there's leadership direction based on gut feel, and then there's leadership direction that's driven by data. So when you have data that's helping the leadership make a decision about what the right direction is, that's when you actually have the greatest success. And so if you can go to your leadership team and say, hey, you guys are thinking about doing fully remote, let's say, as an example, but the reality is 40% of our population still want to use the office. 
how do we address that? And the flip side of that would be a similar, similar argument. And then that's when you would turn to like your security or your sensor data or your calendar data to just kind of get a sense of, well, how many people actually are coming in to be able to gauge where you're at relative to what you're thinking in terms of what the direction is. So there's a, there's a series of validation steps that you need to take and it's not a one and done. Like that's one of the things that I think is the biggest takeaway of COVID and what we're seeing is that before the pandemic, many organizations kind of would do their three year retrofit projects. They would come in, they would do sort of a study, you know, get the information, do the plan and then move forward. Now it's, there's a need for ongoing analysis and data because things could be shifting at any point in time. And so not necessarily does that mean that you need to shift in terms of your plan, but you want to be using that information as indicators is to say, hey, something's happening in the business rather than, you know, waiting until it's too late that you then have to react. You want to be able to get in front of it. So as Andrew was saying before, if there's other options that you're considering around ensuring that your organization has agility around space. So when you have a greater number of people coming in, how do we deal with that? Do we, you know, just take on the space and let it sit idle for the 80% of the time that we don't use it? Or do we look to a partnership with, for example, a co-working space to fill in the gaps, right? So those are all things that are part and parcel of this decisions that need to be made around, around the workplace. Where does Relogix fit into the picture? I'll just tee that up here. So we are a data company. We've been in the business here for 10 years, uh, working with corporate real estate organizations. We're definitely the leader in what we call workplace analytics. And our platform is called Connexus. And what we do is ingest all the meaningful data across FM and corporate real estate into the Connexus platform to help our customers make informed uh, real estate decisions. And that means sensor data, badging data, booking data, IWS data, whatever data a customer might have, that connects us and our team is about pulling that data together and then turning it into meaningful insights. And our sensor platform is in the industry, a do-it-yourself, easy to deploy, high agility, easy to move around, a solution that allows you to collect really uh, tight data on short notice. And I'll point out just one really exciting thing that we're working on right now in the bottom right, you'll see a card that says predictive analytics. Uh, we've actually filed recently a new patent in the area of AI machine learning, and it's our ability to look forward and actually with the data patterns that are unfolding, be able to predict what the future pattern for occupancy will be based on the data that's coming in in real time across the portfolio. So actually having the ability to predict and then prescribe based on new techniques and AI and machine learning. So super cool to be able to predict the future. That's exciting. <laughs> we'll uh, use the last 10 minutes to uh, answer any questions I think that anybody might have. I was actually wanting to maybe, I don't know, if Brad, if you're still with us, um, if you wanted to explain your response to the survey um, about your your data sources, Brad actually mentioned that his go-to source was all of the above. So uh, maybe you guys can kind of speak to that and like people who have to use multiple sources, use all of the above in that survey. Yeah, all of the above data sources is uh, is very unique, and there are very few folks out there in the in the industry that are able to pull together all those data sources and uh, I think getting them all together and putting them in one place, but then doing the work to transform that into uh, making an assertions about occupancy and, and teasing out the insights that come from the correlation of all those data sources is is the heavy lifting for sure in our industry. Everybody's got, and you know, I like to say that everybody, every organization we work with is like a snowflake. And what I mean by that is you walk in the door and you have people on a data journey some have uh, very little data and they're in the beginning of their journey and they're trying to figure things out, whereas some companies have been at it for 10 years and they have really, really rich and powerful data. And uh, we're the ones that uh, arrive and try to deal with what we have in front of us and make sense out of the fidelity of that data and the precision that it provides. And so seeing it across the entire industry and all our customers makes it really powerful to know uh, we can zoom in and zoom out of the portfolio, but just based on the 
various data sources that are available. But Brad, if you manage to pull it all together, you're on the data journey and very on the mature end of the pendulum versus a whole lot of the rest of us out here in corporate real estate, for sure. I think to that point, too, is the and probably Brad can attest to this, is the amount of time that it takes to do that. I mean, having been on the other side of the table and and doing that myself, I mean, it's pretty intensive to do it. And so, you know, the key is, is that if you've got it set up where you have a continuous feed, because the last thing that you want to be doing is spending, you know, weeks on end building that out to get to an answer only to realize that something's changed in the business. So your leadership team has decided that they're going to go in a different direction that brings you right back to the drawing board, which has been very, very common occurrence within the corporate real estate teams. Great. So we have another question. Um, Teresa Chang, I see you have your hand up. Did you have a question that you wanted to uh, ask that group? Yes. Hi to the team. Uh, I find your stuff really interesting, but I had one question. What is the influence of furniture suppliers on what is happening in the future? Because obviously they're saying, oh, more collaborative. This is good for their pockets, of course, but it's not an easy change because furniture is not that easy to change. And if you're right sizing, then you might have the opportunity. But, you know, um, a lot of the discourse or what you read, uh, let's say, um, about the future of work is sort of related to, I would say, a vested interest. And how does that show up in how you are seeing the true research of what happens in CRE? Yeah, I can I can lean on on that one a little bit. But I guess the reality now is that you can be extremely objective about what furniture settings are actually working for your team and which ones are not. And we've done a lot of that work in data-driven design that uh, it's not, you know, it's not anecdotal anymore. We can definitely show very clearly which furniture settings are getting the most traction in which buildings, on which floors, by which groups. Um, and so I think doing those types of studies today then for with our furniture partners says this is exactly what's going on. And the good news is, you know, we can ideally have some flexibility. And I, I, I dreamt of a furniture as a service world as a result because everything for me is as a service. Could we get the furniture providers to have that agility to swap out the furniture settings that are not working until you find the sweet spot of, of what's good and what's bad? Or just not good and bad, sorry. It's just what's working and what's not working. It's pretty obvious if the settings are not being used, then ideally you would want to uh, change that. But you see a lot of capital projects where the work gets done, everything gets done based on what we think is the right strategy and plan and then all the capital was spent and it's difficult at that point to make any changes because you've already made your decisions and and uh, you're stuck with uh, underperforming spaces as a result and the data shows it and it's, it's it's not easy to deal with it at that point i think what's interesting too about about that is um if you think about just kind of the evolution of facilities management i mean you started out years ago where when you were doing moves you were moving you were moving furniture and so if you had a reorg you're dismantling furniture and then rebuilding and then you kind of realize this is ridiculous and then we moved we, we went to box moves so then it was the furniture is fixed you just move people people around but you're always within the facility and then we went through sort of the whole like activity-based work where you tried to do these different furniture settings, again, very much driven by the furniture industry in terms of this idea of having people move around within, always within the workplace space. But now it's kind of like, you know, as you think about these different, very focused sort of co-working spaces that are popping up, so I'm thinking about Convene, for example, which is it's meeting and collaboration space for the most part, right? And so why not, you know, when there's a requirement for meeting spaces, you go to the space space as a service provider where you don't have to invest in the furniture, but you know that the purpose for going to that space is to have meetings versus going to a different type of space where the focus is on something completely different. And so, again, it's a completely different way of thinking about how you use space, but it, it because it transcends what we think of when we think about the workplace being just one central office location or a network of, of office locations. We have another question here from Tawanda. I will read off her comment. So her comment was, the government has reduced footprint in prior years as a mandate. Now we have smaller offices and small workspaces. The anxiety is high for employees as many are not interested in desk sharing. 
This is the wave of the future post-pandemic. Also, because of this, there has been a great exodus. Data analysis, employment is appealing because we know that this can be worked on from home. Definitely a good point there for sure. I think that's, uh, you know, the way I look at it before COVID, the five years kind of that we worked before COVID, you know, flexible, activity-based working, you know, all that was still a very slow-moving train. What percentage of the world's portfolio was fully unassigned, flexible seating environments? Sandra, I bet you the percentage was less than 5%, probably in the whole globe. And guess what? Now the door blows wide open and everybody's trying to move to unassigned in a rapid pace. And what about the people? The people weren't really on board with it, totally on board. Corporate real estate had to sell that dream to the business before. And now here we are and it's just, it's upon us, right? And, and what about the people? Yeah. So I think the other the other part to that, too, is just as she was talking about, like people not being interested in desk sharing and the fact that years ago there was this whole thing of just, you know, increasing density in the offices, which was a way of cramming as many people as you possibly could so that you didn't have to expand on real estate, which now kind of works a little bit against you because you've already you're already in tight quarters. But if you think about it sort of from a different angle is you could have desk sharing in a scenario where you have 200 square foot per person scenario. The footprint is a separate argument from desk sharing. Like desk sharing is just, hey, you know, if we currently have 50% of our people coming into the office, which, you know, that means that you could have a two to one sharing ratio. That doesn't mean that on the same day, two people are sharing a desk. It's just that based on the behaviors that you're observing, you allocate a certain number of desks that get used by people so that you're optimizing how your physical space is being used. And so I think there's also, I mean, I know for certain that there's confusion also in the marketplace around just terminology, like you had hot desking and you have like, you know, that sort of blends into desk sharing and kind of people's perceptions of really what does that mean? And then people get really standoffish about it. And then there's the aspect of COVID, which is, just the germs and, you know, which again is very real. People just sharing in general is not something that's favorable to most people, but companies that have done it have figured out how to deal with the changing of the hands, if you will, of people that are using desks and and it works. And so the key is, is that, you know, you don't want to be following trends, right? Every company has their own objective, their own way of how they want their businesses to operate. And the clues of how you should be operating really come through your data. And so if you're looking at your data, your data is telling you the direction that you probably should take if you listen to it. If you choose to go your own direction, then, you know, the outcomes are going to be what the outcomes are, are going to be. Well, what I just thank you very much, everybody who's taken the time out. We uh, we value your time. It's precious. And I hope you uh, picked up a few nuggets here along the way. And by all means, follow up with uh, Sandra or myself or anyone here at Relogix. We're happy to uh, chat further and answer your questions. Thank you, everyone.